0: Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. I'm Kyle Longton, your host. And today we continue our month-long focus on overseas care. Today we are delving into telehealth services. Now, I want to be clear at the top about what I mean when I say telehealth. This is engaging with provider for a virtual visit through a designated partner. Stateside, we partner with Teladoc for telehealth visits. And overseas, our program is called VHealth, and it's actually managed by an international branch of Teladoc. And I want to go back just a little bit to the history of this program. So the Foreign Service Benefit Plan started offering um, telehealth back in 2017 through another partner. And then for 2020, we actually switched to teledoc. It, it was the right decision for us at that time. And it definitely was the right decision once the pandemic hit and, and became um, prevalent across the United States, because it was was and continues to be the largest telehealth organization. So our members at least had access to, to more potential providers. But at that time, we didn't have a telehealth solution for our members overseas. We, we in an emergency, way for both stateside and overseas. We implemented telemedicine coverage, so virtual visits with providers outside of our partners um, that we've designated. We implemented those stateside and overseas, but we didn't have a, a telehealth service. We had one planned. In 2021, we were hoping to offer this service through vHealth. and I had a conversation with a colleague, Tonesha Johnson, and she was trying to understand the, the, the process and what we were gonna offer and and why we had to wait. And suddenly it occurred to me, because of the conversation with her, common sense prevails. Occurred to me we didn't have to wait. And so on April 27th, 2020, we were able to launch our partnership with V Health. And it has been growing, going strong since then and actually grown to include mental health. We're gonna talk about all of that this um, episode with our partner from the very beginning, from planning to implementation, reporting on engagement and more, John McQuillan. Now, John is a leader of the UK organization and a global portfolio for um, the world's number one virtual care organization. With a passion for healthcare, he's a stakeholder in Teladoc Health's mission in empowering all people everywhere to live their healthiest lives. With over 20 years experience in the healthcare sector and the last six within virtual care, he brings a deep passion for healthcare and comprehensive experience in a multi-sector selling, managing C-suite relationships, building successful teams, defining winning marketing campaigns, multinational and national account management, large scale multinational contract implementations and more to his current position. He shared with me that he likes to apply his knowledge and understanding within healthcare to benefit the clients he partners with and the patients we support day in and day out. And we'll talk more about that and how it benefits FSBP members today. He spends his time, energy and focus more specific on the commercial operations and marketing departments within the organization and works with a brilliant team of innovators, creators and healthcare leaders to develop on the mission that they have. Um, and i am delighted to welcome him to the podcast john welcome to aspa talks
1: thanks carl great to be here
0: john um i one thing i didn't mention in my intro is that in setting up this interview you you embodied the the way that TeleDoc works in terms of you actually were able to turn this around very very quickly um and i i greatly appreciate that um I I did use the intro to give our listeners a little bit of the overview um, and the history of our partnership, at least for the general medicine piece and sort of how that came together. Um, But I'll need your help going into some specifics and sort of where the plan that the the program has been for the last two plus years. Um, So if we can start with some numbers, because we have members pretty much everywhere. And how many countries um, is overseas telehealth? overseas in terms of our perspective in the United States. Um, Is that available through vHealth for for our members?
1: Yeah, yeah, Carl. So the good news is it's actually available in over 190 countries. So it really is very, very global, truly global. Um, And it's tailor-made for globally mobile and expatriate populations all over the world. So TeleDoc Health International uh, in of itself is over 20 Years experience in delivering global virtual healthcare, and it became the organization we know today as TeleDoc Health International in 2018. But that had emerged from a couple of different global providers. Uh, their entire philosophy and care delivery model was focused on global patient populations.
0: That is um, fantastic, and and since we do have our our own global patient population, um, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about. Um, you know, do we see engagement from FSP members uh, worldwide, or is it just sort of focused in one or two countries?
1: No, it's, it's really diverse, actually, Carl. So it's great to see. Um, and in fact, we've supported uh, FSBP members in 71 countries since the inception of the program. And um, it's been really diverse. So we've helped patients uh, from that geographical spread, and that includes countries such as Japan, Germany, uh, united arab emirates and, and Uganda just to name a few to to show you the the broad range of uh, geographical scope we we're, we're supporting your population with
0: yep you, you named a couple countries there where we have really big populations and somewhere we have just a handful of members so um i'm I'm glad to know that not only is it available but but members are using it to 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 sort of broaden out again um, how many patient engagements does the the Teladoc International see um, on a given day?
1: Yeah, so across the global organization, if we look back at the last 12 months, uh, and we kind of look at it outside of the US, we've supported patients with over 4 million uh, consultations. So when we kind of aggregate that across a, a, a day or every day, uh, we're helping about 10,000 patients. So we're having about 10,000 consultations in the global space. Uh, every single
0: day. That's incredible. Um, I mean, just, you know, you talked about 190 um, different countries, but then to hear that there's 10,000 different um, uh, consultations a day is sort of mind-blowing and and gives me great great faith and, and confidence in the support that our members have available to them. Now, with our stateside telehealth program, we offer members access to care for general medicine, and mental health, as well as dermatology and nutrition. Um, and through V-Health, our focus is on general medicine has been since the beginning. And we we we've recently added a, a mental health um, solution, but this may be a silly question, uh, but before we get too far, I wanna ask about language. Are the providers in the general medicine and, and the mental health programs providing care in English or is it the native language of the country in which they're located?
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question, uh, but we offer a great range of language capabilities, irrespective of where the patient's located. Uh, so within the general medicine or GenMed program on V-Health, we've got capabilities in English, Spanish, French, Mandarin, Japanese, uh, German, Arabic, Cantonese, Hindi, Hungarian, Portuguese, Malay, Korean, and Thai, to name <laughs> just a few. Uh, but that shows you the kind of range of capabilities uh, that we have, and it's driven by the patient requirement, uh, more so than necessarily where they're located. Um, Our mental health program is primarily delivered in English. Uh, This is a growing line of service uh, for us in the global space, Uh, but we're building out further language capabilities there. So, for example, within the, uh, the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, uh, we've also got French and Arabic capabilities too, and that will continue to expand over time.
0: That's excellent. Um, and, and you named more than just a few languages there. <laughs> um, so for, for general medicine needs, why might our members contact help? What kinds of conditions or needs are, are, are most prevalent in, in the consultations?
1: Yeah, so being primary care, uh, the needs are really diverse. Um, and some of the, t- the common types of presentations, um, that we support patients with are coughs, sore throats, skin infections, the kind of rashes, um, bites and stings, headaches, joint pain, uh, ear and eye symptoms are very uh, common, back pain, COVID-19, as you would expect, um, gynecological and, and urine infections, um, anxiety and low mood, and really anything in between. Um, it's as diverse as you might expect um, in seeing a primary care doctor in a traditional brick-of-mortar setting. So really, our doctors have to be prepared uh, you know, to support patients with uh, a range of their primary care needs, but that gives you a sense of some of the most common presentations that we see.
0: Right, and, and it's not at all unexpected given what we know um, utilization is in the United States um, for teledoc teledoc and um, other telehealth consultations. Okay, so someone has identified a need and they have the need to, to see a provider. Can we talk a little bit about the process or sort of what happens next? Do they have to be using a device with a camera? I guess, in other words, does it have to be a video visit?
1: Actually, uh, both video and phone consultations are options for the member. Uh, so it doesn't have to exclusively be video. And in fact, telephone consultations are still proving to be more popular uh, with the FSB population. And they've they've been engaging 57% of them telephonically and 43% over video consultations. And that's quite true across all of our populations. Uh, It's changing kind of bit by bit, and the balance is shifting a little bit more to video over time. Uh, But it's only very gradually, and it's really down to individual
0: patient preference. Got it. And and though most of our listeners will hear this only through audio, um, it, it helps that we're, when we're talking with each other, we're actually seeing each other over video. So I will ask, are there advantages to one type of engagement over another? Is, is there an advantage to video versus telephonic um, or vice versa?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Kyle. And there's advantages um, to video in the respect of us engaging now. So we can make eye contact, Uh, There's, you know, a school of thought around there's greater empathy that can be developed and a deeper connection that can be developed uh, over the video versus phone. But there are advantages as well uh, uh, for telephone consultations. Uh, Some patients feel that they can sort of open up more and talk about a range of conditions and feel more comfortable without actually, uh, you know, getting eyes on their their provider. So as mentioned before, it's really down to that personal preference, but there are advantages uh, to either. Uh, We've also got technology and accessibility that plays a big role, you know, bandwidth, the video, uh, and we've got protocols kind of developed within our system uh, for our providers, our care providers, to call back the customer in the eventuality that the video signal drops. Um, Anecdotally, I can say, I think in my experience, that doctors do prefer the video. Um, but again, that's down to individual doctors in in the same way as we see by individual patient preference. Um, and then video is particularly effective and sometimes actually wholly necessary as it's, as it relates to consultations with children or dermatological cases as well.
0: And that that makes a lot of sense beyond the dermatological cases. Absolutely. Um, now here's, uh, I keep trying to trip you up, um, no, but um but we'll, we'll try this this angle. In the US, um, providers can write a prescription and, and send it to a nearby pharmacy through the telehealth platform and, and the pharmacy is designated by the member. Is that possible for overseas members using vHealth? And and are there limitations?
1: Yeah, so 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 that is possible, but obviously the delivery of care globally is is a bit different uh, because of the diversity of the healthcare markets. Versus the UK, who you versus the US, so you have your own diversity across the states. Um, but if we think about this, about 10 to 15 percent of our global consultations result in a prescription, and yeah, we do have slightly different pathways depending on where that patient is located. So, for example, in the UK, where I'm calling from uh, today, uh, we've got an e prescription model in place where prescriptions are sent your doorstep on the same day so it's really an amazing sort of integrated model that we've got here we're very proud of that Um, we've also got uh, an integrated model in the UAE um, and we continue to sort of develop these globally um, uh, over the world so uh, next on our roadmap uh, for this type of solution uh, are Hong Kong and Singapore Um, there's certain countries where we would actually forward the prescription for the patient to take to their local pharmacy um, but what we're always clear with the patient about uh, throughout their interaction with us is what they can and can't expect with regards to prescription fulfillment much of that dialogue centers around uh, medication discussion and also the opportunity to guide to over-the-counter medications and in many jurisdictions uh, there's a great availability of, of over-the-counter medications that are very suited to the primary care the, the gen med service as well.
0: It's, and that's so important and being able to provide that that counseling even before someone has the medication because it may be completely new. They may not know um, it, even what they're looking for if it's an over-the-counter and, and being able to guide them. that That's incredibly important and a great support. Yeah. Um, I want to turn then to, to mental health. So in October of last year of, of 2021, we expanded our partnership to include mental health care via telehealth for our members overseas. Can you give us an overview of how this program works?
1: Sure, uh, absolutely. So this is another great asset, and opportunity for members to engage not only for their physical well-being, but uh, to kind of nurture their mental uh, well-being too. So uh, you use the same technologies you do for the GenMed. uh, That's the app or the portal. um, But you uh, would uh, put your reason for appointment as mental health services. Then uh, you just give us some information about the concern you're uh, uh, sort of flagging and and want us to support you with. Um, And depending on that information, what may happen is one of our our mental health practitioners will call you um, and run through some questions and, and, uh, you know, kickstart effectively what will then become your sessional-based support uh, with us. Or the sessional-based support may commence uh, quite quickly as soon as you request the consultation, but we'll reach out to you to uh, schedule convenient times in order to arrange that, then basically your journey with us in terms of the sessional-based support uh, begins. The mental health service provides the member with up to six sessions. That includes the initial assessment. Um, And the number of sessions will vary by patient uh, and by the psychologist and mental health professional that interacts with the patient. But they'll discuss it and agree really in partnership about the amount of Sessions um, that are appropriate to that individual's needs.
0: I, I really appreciate this this approach um, because it's it sounds so hands on in terms of doing the assessment and and it also sounds like then pairing the the member the patient with the right provider to address their their needs. Um, that you know is is something that people think may not be available through telehealth, and here's a perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but in, we get a, we get some fantastic reports on utilization and outcomes and such, but um, in looking at the data I received, I saw something that like 25% of the cases that were referred to the program, usually self-referred, were deemed unsuitable for the service. Why might that be?
1: Yeah, so um, quite rightly, you observe that. And it's because uh, this mental health service is not suitable for everyone. Uh, um and it offers psychological therapy to clients who struggle with mild to moderate mental health issues and, and so there's uh, certain patients who you know aren't suitable necessarily for the uh, the capabilities that we provide um, and their needs are a bit different and, th- and those patients typically fall in the moderate to high risk either to self to others um, or risk from others so if it's self it may be Somebody who's experiencing suicidal uh, ideation uh, with intent or, or self harming. Um, to others, maybe uh, they've got a sort of forensic history or a history of um, sort of being at risk to others. Um, or, or people that are experiencing uh, being at risk from others uh, would be sort of forms of abuse and, and things like that. Um, so we know that these are very real needs uh, that patients need support with. So what we do is we determine whether uh, you know patients are in the category of where we can help them and then they can embark on their sessions with us. If they're in the framework of uh, being more on the moderate to higher risk, um, then we sort of approach that sensitively and then we make sure that we signpost appropriately, appropriately to either other services that they have available or um, to uh, outward services that are more suited to, to, to support their requirements.
0: So it's not just a no good luck. It is here. Here is a a, a way that may be more supportive of your specific needs. Um,
1: it, exactly. Our, our clinicians talk about de escalation. So our role there is, you know, we, we advertise it. And we're quite kind of transparent in this discussion. We are, but we are in terms of the the rules of uh, of what does qualify and what doesn't. But of course, we have to be prepared if patients come in that maybe don't understand those rules fully. Uh, So what we'll do is we'll interact with them, we'll listen to them, and we'll try to de-escalate them if there's an immediate need because we've got that skill base in the team, and then really try to point them in the most appropriate direction for them to receive their care.
0: Okay. That's fantastic to provide that support in the moment along with ongoing recommendations. Um, Again, can I ask, specifically focused on the, the mental health program, can I ask about the availability of the program around the world?
1: Sure, absolutely. So it's available globally. Um, what we operate is this, uh, is kind of based on European core hours today. But again, we make this clear to the member, at the point of entry into the program or into the service, uh, that we always set up, and we always set up the sessions when it, at a sort of mutually convenient time uh, for the patient, for our Uh, for our provider as well. Um, So, uh, yeah, the mental health program has been available, uh, you know, for for nine months. We've seen engagement from members in over 20 countries on on that particular service alone. And we've supported with over 100 interventions or or sessions in terms of the support. Um, Interestingly, uh, we've seen about two-thirds of that cohort or two-thirds of the patients have been uh, uh, female, and you know the service is orientated uh, to be sort of supportive of patients that are 18 years uh, or above.
0: Okay, yeah, we've got to we've got to get um, uh, everybody across all genders um, uh, caught up in, in utilizing the program when they have needs. So we'll we'll continue working on that, um, John. Maybe you can share some of the common reasons people enroll in the mental health program. Why, what what brings them to this service?
1: Yeah, it's in the way we talked about primary care. It's diverse uh, as it relates to mental health, but it obviously has a slightly different feel to it. Now, uh, patients can discuss a range of issues, um, and our uh, mental health professionals are trained to address these. But some of the most commonly kind of sought ones are how best to cope with the stressing life events and change. We've all been through seismic change with COVID, so that was a big driver, of course. Um, acquiring coping skills to manage emotions, uh, low mood in particular, anxiety and, and things like anger. Um, also, uh, individuals and patients want to access psychoeducational uh, needs uh, around mental health and well-being, um, And they're really interacting with us to obtain support to manage the biopsychosocial impact of physical health conditions. Um, they're interacting with us around relationship and psychosexual support. And then there's many patients who are coming to us um, who have kind of self-relation challenges and self-esteem challenges. And we see a a really big opportunity to uh, support that that cohort of patients and really turn around their their ways of thinking through our intervention so that they're then empowered to support themselves moving forward beyond the program.
0: That's great. Um, Excuse me. Can you tell, <clears throat> pardon me, can you tell me a bit about the credentials of the providers, our members interacting with psychologists, psychiatrists, master's level counsellors?
1: Sure, yeah. So it's um, so the core team consists of clinical counselling or health psychologists. Uh, so they are master level uh, degree qualified and all of the team members are registered with their professional counsel. Uh, they hold a doctorate level of, expertise. Um, and that also, uh, you know, sort of ensures consistency and best uh, quality of care within the US um, section of the network. It's more expansive. And this uh, sort of includes psychotherapists, counsellors, and social workers as well.
0: Absolutely. It, you, you will obviously through the the, um, the Health program, there there's uh, a little bit more, um, we're, we're dealing with all psychologists uh, rather than sort of the different levels that we're talking about, but I'm, I'm curious, is there an overall approach, a similar approach that all the providers um, in the vHealth program take when, when treating patients? We talked about the assessment before, but once those sessions start, however many are determined, do they have a, a similar approach that they, they take?
1: It's a similar level of skill base that we're coming from in each of the interactions from the team, but it's uh, tailored towards the patient's needs in terms of that particular approach. Um, So the clinicians are trained in many different modalities, um, and I'll I'll list out a couple, but some will know, right, cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, but they work on things like compassion-focused therapy, acceptance, commitment therapy, existential therapy, um, schema therapy, psychodynamic interpersonal therapy. Um, and, and really, they use this integrative care approach, um, but this is all based on sort of um, evidence-based modalities. So it's evidence-based approaches from a variety of therapy. Uh, determined by the patient's need and that's what they have in their toolkit to then approach those patients on an individual basis. So it's tailored uh, to the individual needs Um, and it's common in the sessions that there's a real partnership between the uh, mental health professional, between the psychologist and the the patient and there's an empowerment as well. So there's uh, an expectation or a a common ground agreed more so uh, to ensure that the the patient or the member is sort of taking ownership ro- over the things that they can and they're mm-hmm. provided with uh, tools in order to do that. So that's supporting guides, but kind of like homework between the sessions so that they're quite active and, and, and you know, they're the ones owning uh, their their journey, but the uh, therapist is there to ensure that they're encouraging them in, in the right direction. And that's a sort of a common approach that we have.
0: I think that that's great. So it's not just episodic progress; it's it's empowering the person to to continue that progress even outside of the sessions with um, the the psychologist. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we we get a lot of recommendations from members. A lot happens word of mouth. Um, but but looking at overall statistics, um, for both the general medicine and the mental health programs. Can you share any data regarding outcomes or um, satisfaction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at a general medicine program, uh, we're pleased to say that over 90% of patients patients would recommend the program. Um, 89% report being satisfied with their overall experience. We've got over a 50% avoidance of face-to-face care Um, So 50% would have gone to a conventional care setting. You know, if you think about the international uh, healthcare market, they're having to maybe navigate systems that they're not familiar with, uh, a language that they're not familiar Mm -hmm. with, and not really knowing their point of entry. So that's really effective. And then even the other 50%, we're able to empower them to take their next steps in their local market to access that face-to-face care if needed. Uh, The NPS is very high. So we have a 65 score on the NPS, which is is a benchmark that's higher than Google and and Amazon, for example. And then if we sort of hone in on the mental health, uh, 100% of the respondents reported being satisfied with the service and they'd recommend it. And then we have some really great clinical validation. So when you embark on your journey with us on that first session we'll do a core 10 assessment, uh, which is a clinically validated measurement of someone's level of psychological distress. Distress. So we measure that at the start of the programme. And then when you're discharged from, uh, you know, the sessional based support that we've been working on you with, then we, we do another core 10. And in fact, that supports the discharge because we wanna just make sure you're in, in a good frame of mind in order to, to exit our programme. So when we look at this measure, what we're seeing is that at the end of the sessional-based support, uh, there was, um, we've moved the number who have initially come into the programme, 25% have told us that they were, or we've assessed that they are moderately severe or have a severe level of distress. And at the end of the programme, it's moved from 25% to zero in that category, um, which is, we're really proud of that. And then we also see a swing from 13% to 41% of patients in the low problem or healthy category end of the scale from the start of their sessional support to the end. We've got some really great empirical data that's telling us the impact of the program um, is really making people healthier. Um, and it's evidenced through uh, the statistics that we're able to drive through the program, and it's you know underscored by some of those great patient experiences that we see day in day out at the kind of human individual level. So it's a combination of really seeing the the patient outcomes from their stories, but then having that clinically validated measurement to reinforce that at, at a kind of aggregated level as well.
0: Absolutely, and I, I think some of our our members really appreciate having those those numbers, the statistics. Specific to our population to understand that that the quality and and the outcomes that they can they can experience if they engage in this um, um, John, you know this has been a great conversation, but before we wrap up, is there anything that we maybe haven't covered today um, that you would want to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, thanks, Carl. I mean, first of all, uh, it's been great having the you know the chat with you today and having the platform. Uh, so, we can provide a little insight to how we're helping the members. Um, and I think what would be good is just to finish on a kind of sample, a, an anonymized case. Um, and this was a lady that engaged our mental health program, um, and she felt uh, the benefit in her life almost immediately. So, this was a lady in her 30s, um, and she'd had, uh, she was suffering from a great deal of anxiety, and it had impacted heavily on her ability to sleep. Or or, or ensure she had consistent sleep patterns in in her life, so we embarked on the on the therapy uh, with this individual um, and sort of gave her a safe space in order to, uh, you know, talk about her challenges and concerns, and really work with her to develop new patterns of behaviour. So we used that integrative approach that we uh, you know discussed a bit earlier on today, um, and the client identified that being active and she actually practised mindfulness, that really worked for her. That was, a, that was a methodology that was very helpful for her overall overall sense of well-being. Um, so she had culti- started to cultivate new hobbies um, uh, to occupy her time. And through the therapy, the client acknowledged that she had, was having trouble staying awake during the day, which was impacting on her sleep at night. Um, so there was some methodology of pride about not being in a bedroom during during the day so that that was, again, safe space for her to sleep in at night. So a combination of these factors uh, really resulted in a successful solution uh, for this patient. And she's managed to, I'm really pleased to report, she's managed to uh, sort of establish a much more uh, consistent sleeping pattern throughout the night. And if we think about that core 10 uh, kind of outcome that we talked about, the aggregate uh, level, then her course of treatment, the, the client's Core 10 uh, score had fallen fallen significantly, where she'd come in at the higher end, the sort of higher end of the psychological distress, scoring a 15, and then she was moved down to what we call a score five, which is actually very low, um, and in a in what's determined as a non-clinical range. So she's a perfect example of somebody that's struggled with something, um, and probably for quite a long period of time, we really see that profound, Uh, impact so we just want I just wanted the opportunity to share that story because we we know members in this way um, and really sort of support them feeling a bit more connected with the world and happier and a bit more at peace with their own sort of mental health and well-being which is which is so important to us so I think that was a hopefully good note that that you know for for me to say the last piece here and like I said Carl it really we really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today.
0: Absolutely, and 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 thank you so much for sharing that story. This is you know the type of outcome we want for for all of our members, and we're so glad to partner with with you and colleagues through the V Health program and, and make it available to our members uh, worldwide. So, John, thank you so much again for joining us.
1: Thank you, Carl. It's it's the pleasure's all mine, and hope to do it again soon
0: my thanks again to john mcquillan for joining me today this is one of those rare instances where i'm actually going to read the official brochure language as part of the app so telehealth consultations are available to fsbp members outside the 50 united states only through our telehealth vendor the health worldwide access telehealth services 24 7 365 by web or phone for general medicine and behavioral health treatment may include preventive care as well as treatment for acute and chronic illnesses. A provider also may give referrals and, as we heard, prescribe medications when appropriate. In addition, you can use the vHealth mobile app to receive treatment for general medicine and mental health services. Please note that telehealth through vHealth is available to members with a foreign address, including APO, FPO, DPO, and pouch mail addresses. In addition, members with a stateside address may access telehealth through vHealth Worldwide. While traveling outside the 50 United States. To sign up, download VHEalth Worldwide in the App Store or Google Play Store or visit vHealth-Teledochelp.com EN. You can also call 857-256-3784 when in the United States or when overseas plus four four zero two zero three four nine nine two eight five one. Obviously a UK number for information regarding telehealth consultations. Please note that telehealth consultations, stateside through Teladoc and overseas through vHealth, are available to members with no cost share. This has been AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. The views expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not necessarily represent AFSPA. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or the other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to ASPA Talks to catch our next episode. Also, don't miss us live at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, January 28th, to ask your questions about overseas care. You can find us on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash ASPACares, or through our social channels on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Look for it at ASPACares or American Foreign Service Protective Association.